Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome, as always, to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hello, Gavin. Hey, Case, how are you? Good, mate. What's going on? Oh, you know, rep round coming up this weekend, you know, State of Origin on Sunday. We've got the Women's State of Origin on Friday night and plenty of other games around that all weekend. So uh, really looking forward to some international football this weekend. Yeah, they always um, provide a different um, class of, of football um, and some, some excitement that we don't generally see. So it'll be interesting to see how the rep round works this year. So it's the first time we've gone, like, well, you know, in quite a, in quite a number of years that we've gone to the standalone weekend for State of Origin. Um, and I think it will work quite well. I wish I wish we had the time to get over to Perth for, for that game in yeah, particular. It'd be awesome. But I also love getting out to those you know test matches where we've got you know the, the Polynesian nations and the island nations playing each other because the atmosphere and and you know the amount of passion and loyalty and love for mm. for their nations the crowd has is, is is amazing. I remember being out at Campbelltown last last year and it's you know probably one of the greatest you know rugby league experiences I've had sitting in that crowd and feeling the emotion mm. of of you know, all the locals loving, you know, being able to watch their teams be competitive as well, yeah. not just, you know, well, Tong- Tonga and New Zealand um, last year was out was outstanding. So um, that game in New Zealand will be amazing Saturday night as, as well. Yeah, and I think playing the game in New Zealand adds to that as well yeah. to, to give, you know, the fans over there the opportunity to go and, and watch their, you know, their NRL superstars you know, who they get to watch in their club footy week in, week out, but get to watch them represent their nations. And, you know, with lots of players now, you know, pledging allegiance to the smaller, you know, for lack of a better word, minnow nations, mm. um, makes that you know, even more exciting. And, and to see the pride in those guys, I saw through the week Martin Tapao, who, you know, has been, you know, in that New Zealand side for quite a long time and virtually picks himself every year, has, you know, now pledged his allegiance to uh, Samoa. So, you know, to watch him run out there, I'm, you know, it's just... I enjoy seeing that happen and those guys be able to represent their, their you know, country of birth. Yeah, and um, on top of that as well, the women's origin on Friday night. Can't wait to get back out to North Sydney Oval like we did last year um, to watch that spectacle and that game's just going to keep um, keep growing and the quality of the game's just going to continue to grow. And, and yeah, and I'd encourage everyone to get out early for this game as well because we have a curtain raiser this year to that game, which is the, the under-18s girls game. And seeing the quality this year in the New South Wales Rugby League Tasha Gale Cup and those players coming through and seeing the, that evolve over the last three years, that, that competition, and the quality of the players at that level now, to see those you know, th- those players get the opportunity to go out and do it on the big stage now, you know, before an origin, you know, yeah. a legitimate origin game. Um, and get to run out and, and wear the, the gear of their states will be, you know, I, I think will be a great spectacle as well. So I'd encourage anyone going out Friday night where possible to, to get out early and, and watch that game as well. Yeah, definitely. And Rep Round tosses up um, a few, not not challenges, challenges probably the, uh, the wrong word, but um, just a few differences for the referees. Um, so we've got a few of our squad members going into two referee games. So State of Origin and the Women's Origin are two referee games, but then all the other test matches are one ref. So obviously that is a change for the people refereeing those games and it's also a change for the touch judges because there's things that we do slightly different um, when we've got one referee on the field compared to two. Yeah, and that's and that's something you could probably talk about a little bit as well because you know, for me, unfortunately, early in the season, I did get to do it in reserve grade um, for two weeks. But generally, 
you know, I don't get to go back and referee one referee. Um, so for, and, and it's very similar to the guys running out there in the test matches this week where, you know, they've got that backup of having the person behind the ruck, the extra voice, you know, the, and, and the different positions that we find ourselves in on the field because we have that, that extra resource where they'll go out and don't have that this week. And I know, you know, you go back and referee at um, Canterbury Cup level mm. and, you know, there's also times when you go back at Canterbury Cup and are by yourself and there's times when you're in, in the assist role as in the two ref games there. So is your mindset going back to a one referee game different or is it just things happen differently, if that makes sense? Um, the mindset's not different in terms of just how you're going to referee the game, control the game and, and those sorts of things, but um, you do have to take into account those those differences so things like a change of possession and where your movement's going to be you know you're not going to stay at the ruck things like your movement off, off scrums are going to be different um, when you're making a decision near the try line you know that if the other team's going to get the ball then you're going to have to ma- or you're going to have to make a close decision decision in goals or near that try line and then potentially have to get back to set a good 10 meter distance um, you know, for tackle one or tackle zero, whatever it might be. So there's those sort of differences. And then also that difference of not having that set of eyes behind the ruck. Um, there are times where we ask our touch judges to go to adopt a one-up, one-back model. So one touch judge on the 10 metres and one touch judge on the ruck for the entirety of the game so that we've always got someone, I guess, covering that spot um, and taking a bit more ownership there than what we do in a in a two referee game. So I guess it's just being aware of where we're down on resources and making sure that we the rest of the team pick up the slack. I guess um, for that. So technically, not a lot changes with the, you know your technical refereeing, but um, the thing that people watching the games this weekend and I think the players would probably have to pick up on this as well is that. Sometimes things that happen really quick are going to happen a bit slower mm. with the one ref. You're talking about, you know, making decisions and stuff. So 20-metre restarts, for mm. example. You know, we can't allow 20-metre restarts to happen um, when the referees aren't in position. So generally in a two-ref game, it's a lot easier for us to get in position because the referee who makes the decision on the dead ball line mm. isn't the referee who has to run back 30 metres. Yeah. Where in a one-ref game, that guy has to go now. Yeah. So you think about... Uh, a referee has to make a decision right on the dead ball line, whether the ball's dead or whatever, the ball goes dead, we've got a 20-metre restart. Mm. You've got a quick winger who's already running the opposite direction who throws a five-metre pass to a quick centre who then sprints to the... Mm. has to only run to the 20-metre line where the referee has to run 30 metres and be set. Mm. So there's going to be occasions... There may be occasions where the referee has to actually stop the players from taking it because the referee or the touch judges aren't in position. So that's an adjustment that players and fans need to understand that may happen this weekend. Yeah, and and same thing. We we spoke a few weeks ago about quick taps and consistencies or inconsistencies or perceived inconsistencies with um, when we take quick taps or when we allow quick taps and when we don't. And that's another challenge that a one-referee game tosses up to you is that it's much harder to be able to gauge... um, whether all of the attacking team are onside behind the ball, whether it's taken on the mark and where the on and offside defenders potentially are. Um, so to be able to weigh all that up um, with one less resource is, is much harder. So we might see times where it is um, the game is stopped and we say, no, go back on the mark or, or, or whatever even, it might be. Well, it might not even be the fact that we stop the game. It might be the fact that we just slow everything up. Mm. Like that whole process will slow up because you don't have that extra resource to decide. So it takes you an extra second. Yeah, or two. so you've mm. got to have that extra look before you blow the whistle to start the play. Where in, in the two ref model, the second ref who is in in a great position to adjudicate on that will then you know say to, say to the referee, "You can go now." Where now that referee has to actually do that look. So yeah, something going forward for this weekend in the games where there's only one referee 
you know, you need to be aware that there might be times when the game is slowed up. Yeah. Um, so round 14 just gone. You were down in Melbourne, so Melbourne and uh, Newcastle, one of the biggest crowds of the weekend. Um, and Amy Stadium can get very, very loud. You had 16,000 people there. Uh, how'd you find that game? Anything, any takeouts out of that? Yeah, it was um, it was a bit different, actually. A uh, day game in, in Melbourne. It was a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Um, it's, it's a weird one because when we're warming up, and you know, 20 minutes before kickoff, there probably would have been four or five thousand people in the in the ground. And heading back in the rooms, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this, you know, I was expecting a few more than this. And then by the time kickoff, you know, it's it's almost full. So, yeah, they come in late there. Um, big thing out of this is there was a game, a, a rugby union game on the night before, and they'd had a lot of rain in Melbourne, so they rolled the the field to sort of flatten it out the next day, and it was really gluggy, mm. um, you know, sort of cl- claggy sort of thing. So it was a bit slippery and and a, and a little bit different. So. Um, we went and had a walk on the field before the before the game, so we knew there were certain areas of the field that were a bit <laughs> slippery and that. And uh, to their credit, it didn't really have much impact on the game. Although there was a lot of drop ball early, but um, yeah, it was it was a different surface to run on than the, the normal surface down at Amy Park, which I think is one of the surface wise is yeah. one of the best in the comp. Yeah, that definitely came up on TV. I think I said it to you after the game that the ground didn't look that great, and like you said, it's usually one of the one of the best fields um, and, in, in the competition. And just going back to that game, it shows. Um, in this competition, how good this comp and how tight this competition is. If if you are down by five percent, mm. it makes a big difference yeah. in the way you perform because you got you know the Newcastle side who come into that game as the form team in the competition, having mm. won six in a row, and you know they they dropped a bit of ball in the first half and you know they so they're off a bit and that doesn't you don't need to you know give Melbourne too many opportunities and and Melbourne really sort of showed them you know f- the consistency that they have and the, f- the, the style of footy they play. Yeah, which was um quite surprising from from Newcastle because I was up um, in Newcastle last Wednesday for scrimmage with with the team and a couple of other referees and we refereed um, their scrimmage at at their training and um, we remember saying after the game that the whole time so the hour and a half that we were there they did not drop the ball once yeah so their completion rate and how fast they were moving in their scrimmage was a really high quality and then to turn around and come up with 58% Completion in in Melbourne was just yeah chalk they, and cheese. They used it all up on Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then and, and that can happen as well. Like you get down there, and like I said, the conditions were a bit different, and you've got you know a, a team up in your face and and working hard to you know to really put some pressure on you. And you know yeah, like I said, you've only got to be down a touch. And and in this competition, you've seen sides like Parramatta and West Tigers have been beaten by fifty and then come out and won the next weekend. Mm. It just yeah, it just it just says to me the quality of of, of the the competition. Yeah, um, we had a so that was one of the biggest score lines of the weekend. We had a couple of closer games, and one of those was obviously the uh, the Cowboys and Tigers game, which went into Golden Point. Um, and with Golden Point, that always gives people from our squad an opportunity to win one of our awards of of the week. So when we look at the GPS data from uh, around fourteen, our marathon runner this week was the assist referee from that game um, in Dave Munro. And he clocked up eleven point seven kilometres as the yeah as the assist referee in that game. Yeah, and and like you say, extra time in, in a game gives you extra chance to run distances. But what it does show you as well is in you know in those clutch moments of a game, and Golden Point is a clutch moment because every decision matters. Because now mm. we're looking at you know next point points win. Um, that you know the, the officials are under even more stress on their body and they're running extra than they normally would in a game yeah. so it it does well it, it shows the fitness levels of what we do and you know in going into our games and but it also shows the pressures that we can be put under at the back end of games running extra kilometers yeah um our urgency award this week 
goes once again to my little mate, Drew Altram. Um, he hit the high XL D cell mark 86 times as a touch judge in the Rabbitohs and Panthers match. Um, and Gazelle of the Week goes to Phil Henderson. Uh, he clocked just under 30 Ks. I think he might be disappointed that he didn't hit that 30 K mark at 29.88 kilometres an hour as the assist referee in the uh, Manly and Dragons game. And I think that's when he was uh, doing his best to put in the big ones and chase down um, Tom Trebojevic. Little story on, on Hendo there. Um, I um, worked part-time at New South Wales Rugby League and I was in the office this morning and uh, Paul, the great Paul Langmack um, was having a conversation with me and he started talking to me about that bloke is trying to be me. He, and I said, what are you talking about? Because, you know, that ref, he's really trying to look like you. He's the uglier version of you. The uglier version yeah, of you? Yeah, Oof. uglier version of me. I don't know if, if uh, you know, being told you're, you're ugly is a rap or a, or not from, from Langer's, but, um, yeah, so uh, Langer's was sort of of the opinion that Phil Henderson is trying to look like me on the field. I think that would hurt Hendo. Yeah, I think it hurts him more than it hurts me. <laughs> um, so... Speaking of the uh, Tigers and, and Cowboys game, it leads us to um, our discussion this week on on a couple of rulings. Uh, we had uh, the penalty try, which was awarded during that match, uh, which came off a high tackle. Yep. So it was awarded to to the Tigers. Was it on Michael Cheekham? Uh, no. Essan? No, I can't remember now. That's um, again. That, that was another game this week that I unfortunately missed because I was at I was at my game, um, but I got to watch the highlights of it and obviously saw the penalty try, um, which led us into. Obviously, we heard a lot of discussion around whether it should or shouldn't have been a penalty try. So we thought we'd sort of talk about the factors that influence when we award a penalty try and 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 when we don't, um, and also, I guess, what the ruling of that penalty try is meant to be. So I think we've mentioned before that a penalty try can never be, a referee can never 100% know that a try is going to be, would have been scored. But the rule around penalty tries is that in the referee's opinion or in the official's opinion, a try would have been scored had it not been for the foul play of the other team. Yeah. And I think that's the big, the big factor in this, you know, a try may have been scored if it not for the act of foul play. So, you know, there's, there's there's plenty of times when players are running around to put the ball under the post and they drop the ball. There's you know. So we actually saw that as a good example for that about how we can never 100% know because it's a hypothetical. In your game, so Melbourne and Newcastle, we have Heimel, Heimel Hunt? I think it was Heimel, yeah, Heimel Hunt, yeah. And what happens there? So, yeah, he gets a, <laughs> he gets a great offload, late offload. I can't even um, remember who it was, who, you know, no one expecting him to offload the ball late and near the uh, try line. Offloads and Heimel Hunt, is, no one's near him and sort of walks three metres over the line to put the ball down and then for, just out of nowhere, with no one within five metres of him, just drops the ball. Hmm. So, yeah, if, if you were to say any time someone was going to be 100% certain to score a try, it would have been this occasion, yeah. but he doesn't. So you can never, you know, you can never, and that's why the ruling isn't, you know, and, and the misconception is that, you know, is 100% was going to score. Hmm. It's not that. It's, he, you know, you're taking away his opportunity to score. Yeah. So that's why most, most likely going to score a try. most likely to score a try. And, and that's the judgment that referees make in every different scenario. Was he most likely to score the try, hmm. you know, apart from the, at the act of foul play? Yeah, and in and in this scenario, um, that one went went to to the bunker. Um, and in other scenarios, obviously, where we don't have those f- facilities, um, the officials have to make the decision on their own. Um, but it came back as a penalty try. So in saying that, the high tackle um, causes him to drop the ball. And the conjecture over that is, okay, well, the ball actually comes out when um, the arm of the defender sort of hits the ball and, okay, was it a loose carry? Was it a strip? Or 
does the high tackle, um, I guess, contribute to that carry? Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing I look at it. It says there is, there is, and there's obviously conjecture over the decision whether it be right or wrong. Um, but when you look, when you take factors into it, and you look at okay, the player who was fouled ends up in the end goal. Yep. So there's no doubt he was going to be in a position to score a try. And he it's had not like it was five meters out from the yep. goal line. And he had secure possession had secure of the position. ball. He wasn't trying to ground yep. the ball that was um, like grubbering along the yep. ground, for example. And, and I understand the debate about this one because this one isn't a, you know, a black and white, cut and dried one. It is, but you know, there'll be people who sit. Either it's rugby league. Like, it's going to yeah. be great. And, 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 <laughs> and as we talk, we love the grey areas. Um, but for me, in this one. Um, you can get hit high and the reaction can be a bit delayed as well. So you've got to take that into account. So I might get hit high and, you know, and shake it off sort of and then all of a sudden, you, you, because I'm not concentrating on what I've got, the arm around the footy, you, you end up with a loose carry and the ball can come out. So it could be a delayed reaction and, in the time and when And when, when we hit. say delay, it's also when we're watching that on replay and in slow motion Slimer. as yeah. well. Um, so it's, it's not as much of a delay as what it could appear when you're looking at it in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. And... and, and yeah, in, in this particular case, like I said, the the the, the ball carrier, and I think it's SM Masters who who has really good control of the footy, is you know, after he's fouled, lands in the in goal, and where the ball would have been lands in the in goal yeah. with no other defenders around. So I can understand, and I, and and for me, I you know I I sort of see why this one's a penalty try, yeah. and, and I would agree with it. Yeah. Um, but I know there are others that, that don't, and yeah. people in the game, and I've had friends you know, outside of refereeing talk to me about this one, yeah. some saying they I think, think it is. I think inside and outside of refereeing. I think it isn't, yeah. but for me, I just, I just look at it and I go, well, if this one isn't, it's very hard to say when we do have one for yeah. that particular incident. You know what I mean? For one where the player's going over line and he's fouled high. Yeah, he's tackled high. To me, I sort of look at it and I go, well, because yeah, I, I know commentators and, and some media are talking about, you know, well... He dropped the ball before he hit the ground and he had yeah. loose carry and all that. But for me, is the fact, or when, you know, how could the referees or the bunker be 100% certain he was going to score? We can't. Yeah. But like I said, in my opinion on this one, hmm. I think he was most likely to score a try, have it not been for that act of foul play. Yeah. And then, you know, from, from that, you know, if there's no high tackle, then we're not even having this debate. He either yeah. scores or he doesn't. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so high tackles are one of the scenarios that we see with. with penalty tries or potential penalty tries um, being awarded. The I guess apart from high contact, the two that we see more often, um, penalty tries are fairly rare as it is, but when we look at what when we do award a penalty try, why um, it had occurred, um, there's kind of two more that um, sort of stood out to us um, when, we, when we were discussing it. And they that's one of those is uh, when a player is jagged back or tackled off the ball. Um, and that generally happens when uh, a grubber kick has been put through, or it could be or a, a, a longer kick, or, or, could be a or there's a support player. player. Um, the support player one's a little bit, yeah. a little bit uh, harder to judge on, with the ball being kicked um, and a chaser being tackled um, late or jagged back. Yeah. Um, I guess the factors that we look at there. Uh, when we saw it last in last year's State of Origin, was it Game what? Two? We had a we had a sin bin each way. We had a sin bin in the first. Oh, in the first one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in those ones, the majority of the time, it's a way up between whether it's a professional foul, so sin bin, or a penalty try. Yeah. And the things, the factors we look at are where was the player and where was the ball. So if the ball was really far into the in goal and about to go over the dead ball line and the player was jagged back on the 10-metre line. And we go, well, 
it's probably not likely the player well, would have gotten there. there. There's, our, there's our barometer. You know, it, yeah. it, was he most likely to score the try? No, he wasn't. Yeah. Because um, the ball travelled yeah, over their but ball. But had the player been closer to it and the ball was a metre into the in goal, and if that player was what we call like the lead chaser, so there wasn't a defender in front or to the side, so they were most likely to get to the ball first, yeah. that's when we would be more likely to award a penalty try versus having the Simbin um, which is when we say, well, we were in a try-scoring situation, so it was the professional foul. Yeah, and we have one in <laughs> another. We had a lot happen in our game on the weekend, <laughs> but we have one where um, Cameron Smith shoots down the short side, yes, puts a little grubber kick in, and Edric Lee comes across and tackles him without the ball. Mm. Um, and it's pretty close to the try line, but the fact that it was so close to the sideline, the fact that uh, Caelan Ponga's in. Cr- close proximity to retrieve the ball, actually gets the ball before it gets to the try line. The, you know, they're the factors why we go professional foul sin bin, not uh, penalty, penalty try. try. Because in our in our minds on field, and we didn't send this one up because we had the opinion on the field, yeah. in our minds on field, it was not most likely that Cameron Smith was going to regather that ball and score. The most likely scenario was that Caelan Ponga was, going, was, was more than likely to get the ball first. Or unsure. Or, unsure, or we were unsure. So we just went, okay, well... It, it's it's a professional foul because Edric Lee has yeah. purposely taken him out, so he goes to the bin. But we don't. Um, and I guess that's an important point as well, because um, I guess listeners might s- sort of think, well, if you did think Caelan Ponga was going to get the ball first, then should we even penalise it, or should it just be a penalty and not a professional foul? But the reason why we have that professional foul aspect in the sin bin is that we need to discourage the act. Well, it's a because, deliberate act. Yeah, because uh, because of the deliberateness of the act, we want. We don't want the players to just go, well, I'm going to hedge my bets here and tackle the player or jag the player back because at worst it's going to be, at best I'm going to save the try and at worst I'm just going to give away a penalty. So we need it to be a bigger punishment as such um, just to discourage that act. That, that's why we look at it. In, it's only, like if that happened at the other end of the field... Yep. We're not going to we're not going to send bin. Yes, it's similar to the long break professional foul, yep. which we see. You know, player makes eighty meters, gets tackled by the fullback. The fullback just lays in there and doesn't get off because the next play there is a highly likelihood that they you know they have an opportunity to score a try. So that's why we class it as a professional foul because you mm. are deliberately trying to in, you know in, uh, infringe. Yeah. So once we get down that you know aspect of it in a try scoring situation, that's when we look at professional foul sim bin. Just give us a real quick rundown of how that happens on on the field for you. So that particular incident so you've got Cameron Smith goes down the short side kicks Edric Lee um, tackles him as a group of officials how do you communicate that to each other yeah well this one's a bit of a strange one as well because Jerry and I who were communicating through this were sort of communicating the same thing but differently like well uh, the question Jerry was asking me and I was answering was my answer was correct but it wasn't the correct answer to the question he was asking if that makes sense so what happens in this one is where you know, Jerry was the head ref in the game, but at this stage of the game, I was the control ref. So I, I see the incident. Um, as it happens, uh, Caelan Ponga actually tackles, uh, gets tackled in the touch. So we have a break of play anyway. So it's a lot so of a natural stoppage. So there's a natural stoppage. So I blow time off and then give my information to Jerry of what I think it is. So I say to Jerry, it's um, just a penalty, thinking it's not a penalty try. Yeah. So I'm saying, Jerry, I think it's just a penalty. Um, but then because, he's asking you because of this, and he said to me, "Just a penalty." When he's, he's asking me, he's asking, "Do I think Sinbin as well yeah. professional foul?" But I'm thinking, "Is he asking? You know, is there a possibility for a penalty try?" So we've spoken plenty of times about communication on this podcast, yeah. and there's an example of where you're both, I guess, answering or asking, yeah, giving so different answers yes. to so a different question, question. We're both giving the correct correct answer, 
but our different questions. Yeah, yeah. our questions that were the same were different. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talk through that, and then we get so we get the penalty, and we don't go to penalty trial when I explain to Jerry why I don't think it is, and he agrees, um, and then we have a sort of second to sort of think about it, and then as it's sort of settling down, settling down, uh, touch judge Michael Y sort of tips us in and goes, "Oh, boys, do you think anything else?" And that's when I say. Oh yeah, I think it's a sim bin. If yeah. it, well, if it's a penalty, it has to be a sim, be a sim bin. bin. Yeah, and then um, and Edric goes to the bin. I guess that's another um, point on the two referees system, um, which we spoke about um, last week. week before, yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, um, is that the head referee of the game will do the sin bin? If there's a sim bin, they'll. They sign, but yeah, they do it because they have to sign off on it, sort of as, as lack yeah. of you know, as, as the assist ref. You know, we we much prefer that the head referee takes signs control off and or says takes yes, control I'm of that situation. More, so more than comfortable. To, yeah. To so you it. would tell the even though you were the control ref at the time, you would tell the head ref you'd blow the penalty and then tell the head ref what you were thinking. So that a simbin and then the head referee would actually put the hands up in the air. Ninety nine percent of the times, it would just happen naturally. Yeah. I wouldn't need to tell. And in this case, I shouldn't have had to tell Jerry that it was a sim bin. Mm. It it should have just happened naturally. But um, because we were asking the same questions differently, it sort of got a little bit confusing. But uh, yeah, 99, people wouldn't even know that there's been a transition of of control there because it just happened so naturally. And this one was just a little bit. And people still probably wouldn't know, but yeah, because Jerry blows the penalty and and puts him in the bin. But we know it was a bit sloppier than what it should have been. so penalty tries we've spoken about are the high tackles, the jag, back or tackle without the ball. The other one we see um, a bit is the sliding in with knees or feet um, and knocking the the arm or the um, or the ball out of the hands of of the ball carrier. And we yeah. actually had it in the uh, women's grand final last year. Yeah, and and that's another one where people don't understand. Well, you know, it's only hit the ball. Why is that a penalty? Yeah. But it's a dangerous act, yeah. And we don't, you know, and same again, thing, discouraging we, the. We act. can't have that act because the, there's a high risk of injury in that act. Mm. So we don't don't allow players to come sliding in with the knees to mm. dislodge the ball. Yeah. Um, and if they do, yeah, it's it's generally going to be if if the try is not scored, it's generally going to be penalty, uh, a penalty try. Yeah. Um, because. In most likelihood, if that player didn't kick the, the ball out, it was going to be. And, a, and there's a, a few try. factors around that. We talk about whether the player got their hands to the ground, like if because I've got to be able to, to defend in some way. Because yeah, um, there's a difference between deliberate and accidental. Yeah, so there's times where I've got to get to the ground and my legs or my feet, my knees, whatever hit hit the ground and I come into contact, compared to if I'm just you just think like a baseball sort of slide or a soccer, or a soccer slide sort of slide. Yeah. That's um that's very different. Yeah, there's plenty of factors um, and intricacies that we've got to look at and that and you know, that's what makes our grey area. Um I guess out of that same game with the penalty try there was another discussion around um I guess the consistency or inconsistency of when we do or don't refer decisions to the bunker. Um so there consistency, was consistency, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty consistent. Um so there was a decision in that game um, where the referees awarded a try on field uh, and on review there was a knock-on from the Tigers in that kick. There was a, so there's a kick, there's a kick contest and there was a little knock-on um, which should have been been pulled up. Unfortunately, it, it was missed. Um, and, yeah, pr- it prompted that, that discussion around why it wasn't sent to the bunker. And I guess um, it's something that we've as a group spoken about before and I know you and I've definitely spoken about it is that you can't check something that you didn't know happened. Yeah. So it's very easy to sit back and go, Oh, why didn't they check that? They check everything else or they, you know, whatever. But if I didn't see anything wrong with it, if it's just 
someone running over the trial and put the ball down, I don't see anything wrong. Well, I would have no cause to check it. So I thought we'd sort of have a little discussion around what would cause us to check some things and not check other things. Because I can understand where where fans, um, viewers might get um, confused as to why we do or don't check decisions. Yeah. yeah. And, and the big thing around that is, yeah, it's a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like you check something that's quite simple and we sort of get polarised. It stupid. By, yeah. Yeah, and it does. And, and, and you're embarrassed sometimes when you, when you check something and you look at it and you just go... Yeah, that, that's an embarrassing check. But then the flip side of that is what what happens to um, the guys on the weekend when they don't check something, and you know you, you, you're embar- you're embarrassed the other way mm. because. And, and I had the same. I've had the same thing. Early like in pretty my much career. every referee's had where, the every NRL referee. I, I remember it to this day in Brisbane, and um, there was a, a, a kick con- very similar thing. Kick contest. One player touches it, another player gets it and scores, and I just give the try because I think it comes off the same hand, and he catches it before it hits the ground. But it's actually two yeah. different players, so it's a knock on, and. You know, I remember seeing it on the big screen after I've given the try and, you know... It's I, a horrible feeling. I was embarrassed. And you, you have that sick-in-the-stomach feeling. No one wants to be wrong. The, the problem is we're human. Sometimes we do, and we do. We make mistakes. Um, yeah, no one no one goes out there wanting to check every decision. No one goes out there not wanting to check either. It's, it's you know, we weigh it up on the factors of the game. And, you know, sometimes later in games when it's more important, we're more likely to check something that we're reasonably certain is a try. Hmm. You know, if it's a game-defining try, that, you know, in the last minute... Yeah, and there's this. You know, you're more likely to check because we want to be correct. Yeah. We don't want to have the impact on the game where we influence the outcome of the game. So, um, yeah, and I get you know fans getting frustrated if there's 11 checks in a game. Mm. You know, I mean, I've had games where there's been 11. I've had games where there's been 11 tries and had no checks, yeah. and that's just how the game panned out. It wasn't the fact that I went out there saying I'm not going to check anything, yeah. and I'm going to you know. It's just it the just plays the fa- that led to tries just, happen to be simple, and, and, and we you know, as officials happen to be in you know, position. Sometimes we weren't in the best position, but we just happened to be in a position to see, in mm. position to see something. So you know, we got lucky. So you know, there's no and and the biggest myth is that we earn money from KFC. Oh, <laughs> the amount of times I've heard that from our friends and that saying oh, it as well, going, "Oh, how much kickback do you get yeah, from that, KFC? That, how many checks do you have to have a game?" Oh, there's a quote on how many we have. There's to absolutely check. not. That, that's something I can sit here right now and guarantee 100% it doesn't happen. Um, like I said, if, if you know, we're, I'm more than happy to go out there and ne- never check one if the, if the play allows it, but if there's, if I have any, oh, I've been burnt too many times to if I have any doubt. Hmm. to not, you know, why not? We've got that there. Utilise all the resources. Yeah. But I think the main thing of what you just said is if I have any doubt. Yeah. If you didn't have doubt, so the the on-field officials just missed that knock-on in the in the kick contest, so they didn't have doubt. If you have doubt, you're going to check it. Yeah. Um, so a few things that we generally uh, are more likely to cause doubt because they either are very difficult to see or, well, generally are difficult to see at speed um, are things like the ball rolling in the ingoal. So if the ball's not in a player's possession and they sort of reach out to slam the ball down to ground and it comes like flying, shooting out, out, it's very difficult to see whether there was ever any separation there. Um, So that's one that is more likely to have doubt. You've got four or five players competing for the ball and all of a sudden the ball spews out. You can see a hand on the ball. A lot of times you can't, you know it's grounded. You just don't know who it is when there's four hands there as well. Yeah. Um, We have some tight obstructions. So as to whether the ball is caught um, on the inside of the the lead runner or not. Um, Actually, I have one in my New South Wales Cup game, my Canterbury Cup game on the weekend, which 
Um, that it's in the middle of the field, so a try doesn't come from it, just gets passed and the player is tackled. But in my mind, and I think I actually verbally go, ooh, yeah. as he catches the ball, because I was thinking – because live I thought, oh, he's caught that on the inside. So I'm thinking if he makes any sort of break from this, I'm going to have to penalise it. But then you watch it on review and it just happens to be where a line is on the field. And you go, oh, actually, he yeah, right. he's caught it beyond that inside shoulder. But at speed, you're making the decision in that, this snap second judgment. So there's an example the, of one that we are more likely to check. They're tough live as well because generally you have your, your lead runner running an unders line yeah. and you have your sweep or your catch running overs like running around running so, around so when at the, the and at is, the same time as the referee you're also moving so yes. you're not stationary to make that decision either yeah so sometimes there, there is a catch and it may look like it's inside or out you know especially it may look like it's inside but actually by the time he catches the ball the lead runner's actually gone through and he's, through, yeah. he's on the outside so they're really tight and in obstructions it's also the fact you know we've got to make judgment on defensive decisions yeah. as well so if there is some contact post that catch okay who's initiated that contact yeah. so live when you've got to look at two or three things um it's very, it's very difficult, and yeah. that's why a lot of obstruction plays, a lot of plays that just look like you just. You know, sometimes we we review them, and they're the ones that I think sometimes we we watch back and go, there was not even any hint yeah. of an obstruction there, and we, but because something happened, it just was out just of luck. We're yeah. more likely to check an obstruction play than anything else. Yep. Um, we check kick chases generally. Um, I think touch judges are really good at clearing the kick chases um, as onside or, or offside live. The ones that we a lot of times are harder are from like second kicks. So there's been a kick, regathered, the team keeps playing, and then the structure of the players is all out of whack. And all of a sudden there's that second kick. Um, and our commentators say it a lot, like be, beware of the second the second yeah. kick. Um, but to judge where each player is in a misshapen line, <laughs> misshapen, I don't, yeah. don't know a better way to say that, um, it ca- can be difficult um, as well as um, – touch and touching goal lines and um, we said we said before about grounding of the ball. So on that, um, I guess we'll just make a point as to who makes the decision in the bunker on those um, different types of plays as to whether it's a try or no try. Yeah, well, you see on the um, referee's appointments and in, in big league and stuff like that, they have the um, bunker reviewer and a bunker official on the... On senior the, review on the, official. Senior, and, on, on the appointment. Yeah. So you have a senior review official who's generally a referee. Yeah. Um, the Jared Maxwells, Henry Perinara, Ashley Klein, um, yeah. Steve Chitty. Steve yeah. Chitty, they do a lot of that stuff. So their role is to, they generally officiate the decisions in the game. Yeah. Um, you also have a review official in there who um, is an ex footballer. So, so Ben Lowe. Ben Lowe, we've got Bo Scott. Yeah. Um, ben Galea. Ben Galea, you know. Um, so those guys were there. And so they'll adjudicate on technical style decisions, so groundings of the ball and obstructions. Yeah, so so the ref- so the player specific thing. So we we entrust them with the player knowledge on obstructions. Yes. So they'll they are guided by the senior review official, um, but yeah, they'll generally take that sort of weight. take the, the yeah the weight off the the ex player in there as to okay, yep, that ball is that's a try, that's, yeah. you know, or that's an obstruction. Yeah. A lot of the player stuff. Well, obviously the catch is easy because we can freeze frame yeah. and see where the ball's caught, but it's more the defensive decisions yeah. and the str- and then what happens post the that, impact the structure, on yeah the, the structure of the defence. Yeah, so we've got the guy out there who's done it. Yeah, I haven't done it. At, so so grounding so grounding of the ball, whether there was you know pressure on the ball, separation, separation. all of that, um, and obstructions are generally are guided by the review official, which is an ex-player. Yeah. Um, real quick listener question we had this week was, um, growing up, did we have a favourite referee? So like our players talk about who their favourite players were when they were um, kids. Did you have a favourite referee? 
Uh, no, I didn't actually. I, I don't want to sound too bad, but I didn't like referees when no. I was a kid. Um, I played footy and, um, yeah, I wasn't a, wasn't a fan of referees. I um, sort of fell into refereeing, so... Uh, no, never. Yeah. When I started refereeing, though, there was a few local district referees that were refereeing A grade at the time that you know I sort of looked up to and, and wanted to impress. So I was more likely there than any NRL referees. I didn't even when Who I were started. Who were those guys? Oh, so I had a couple of guys. There was a guy named Rob McDonald at South when I first come through. Who's, um, no longer with us actually. Um, who was a big influence on my early career. He was a real strong sort of type referee. He'd just come back from grade. He'd refereed um, a bit of lower grade stuff. I don't think he ever refereed first grade, but refereed a lot of reserve grade. And he was actually come back refereeing A grade when I come through. There was a guy, um, Brian Prescott, who um, was the president of South and was for a long, long time, who was very influential in in my early career. And then there was another guy, Neil Lewis, who never refereed at any high level, Mm. refereed under sixes and sevens, but was my ex-footy coach who got me into refereeing and um, was someone that I always looked up to and wanted to impress. So they're the guys that sort of I looked up to more than NRL referees. Yeah, I was intimidated, though, when I did come into the NRL by, you know, when I first come in, I had Bill Harrigan, Steve Clark, Tim Mander, Paul Simpkins, you know, Sean Hampstead then. Yeah, it was a pretty well-known group at that and, time. Yeah, hey? and, and, and when I come in, I, I was I was intimidated. I reckon for the first five years I was part of that office. They didn't think I had a tongue because I'd just sit back and listen and learn because, yeah, I didn't think I, – I, well, I didn't feel like I belonged in that room with those guys when I first came into refereeing. So, yeah, I, I was fortunate then as well, but it was a completely different system to what it is now. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? Uh, I guess it's a bit different than players um, like having their favourite players when they were kids because all of, like, as referees you, you're not as a kid a fan of referees you're a fan of the game yeah. so you have your favourite players and, and that sort of stuff as a, as a kid but um, like, like you know when I started getting into refereeing and, and even just enjoyed like being a fan of the game before I was refereeing um, you know Billy was just the the best referee um, at that time um, as a viewer of the game so I think it's a pretty obvious one there for me. Um, he was, he was my favourite referee. Um, he was my first, my first favourite referee until I met you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Gavin Reynolds was your favourite referee. Oh, he he is. He's my he's my favourite, Gavin. Oh, yeah. Um, just before we finish up, too, I just want to give a bit of a shout out. Um, there's a young kid from Newcastle referees named Samuel Daly who just underwent some heart surgery actually in, um, last Tuesday, um, and. Uh, a couple of the boys, so Adam G and, and John Stone, went out and had, had a chat with him in hospital yesterday afternoon. Um, and, you know, they come away quite impressed with the kid and how enthusiastic he was to get back out in the field already after after heart surgery. And, and they said his enthusiasm levels are even greater now post the surgery that yeah. he wants to get out there and really have a crack at it. So just wanted to give a bit of a heads up to, to Samuel and just um, let him know that the guys at the NRL squad and officiating in general are, are all behind him and hopefully, you know, see him back out there real soon. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to um, to be able to get out there and hopefully this season be able to see um, Samuel running around and doing what he, what he enjoys. Um, so what's the rest of the weekend look like for you, Badge? I'm very quiet, actually. A weekend off. I'm rep round. Um, no appointments for me this weekend. Um, so I sort of get to go out and watch a lot of footy. So I'll be out at the um, women's games on Friday night. So I'll be out for both of those. Um, head out to Leichhardt Oval on Saturday and then still organising what we're going to do for Origin on Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, it Might be a homemade pizza night. Laid back weekend, but full of footy. 
Excellent. What about yourself? Um, so same as you, Friday night, getting out to the uh, Women's State of Origin and the Under-18s game. Um, and then on Saturday, um, I'll be refereeing the Women's Fiji and PNG uh, test match out at Leichhardt Oval, um, which should be should be good. And then uh, obviously just enjoying the rest of the football that weekend. Um, I love Rep Round. Um, so with that, we'd just like to encourage everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you are interested in being a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.